Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Medical Device Success podcast and videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. For new listeners, thanks for checking this podcast out. You won't be disappointed. For regular listeners, thanks for being back and for your support as the podcast continues to grow. Last week, a fellow podcaster revealed to me a link to the top 20 medical device podcasts. I didn't know such a ranking existed. Medical device success was ranked second in the top 20. Needless to say, I was pleasantly surprised and very humbled at the same time. Medical device success does not have a large company or media group helping with production like many others on the list. It is just me, a webcam, an inexpensive microphone, a Mac desktop, and some software. Thanks again for all the support from listeners and also from all the subject matter experts, the C-suite individuals that have participated. It means a lot, and I really appreciate it. Well, we have another great program today called A Brand RX for MedTech. In other words, a brand prescription for MedTech. And this prescription encompasses sales and marketing from field sales personnel all the way to the CEO. And to lead us on this journey, we have Matthew Ray Scott, who's the founder and principal and managing director of Feed, the agency. Matthew started out like many of us, carrying the bag in a sales position. Then he moved into leadership positions. The medical community he specialized in was orthopedics and spine in particular. He walked the walk and learned what made a difference with his surgeon customers. Then, after a couple other career-enhancing events, which you will learn about in the podcast, he founded Feed, the agency. Matthew marches to a different drummer, and he gets results. There is a lot of great advice in this podcast. Now, if you're looking for a different kind of med tech community where you can meet like-minded med tech professionals like yourself and learn from subject matter experts like Matthew Ray Scott, consider med tech leaders. For example, this podcast and videocast was a live event in the med tech leaders community. So members could attend and ask questions. Now, I'm the host of this community, and you can learn more about it at medtechleaders.net. It is inexpensive, and there is a free trial. Matthew and I talk about several books that have had great effect on our personal, strategic, and leadership thinking. Links to these books will be in the show notes, in addition to links to Matthew's LinkedIn profile and website. One of the books we talk about is Crossing the Chasm. The author of this book and a Silicon Valley marketing icon is Jeffrey Moore, and he will be a guest of the Medical Device Success podcast and videocast on September 22nd. It starts as a live event in the MedTech Leaders community. So again, if you want to learn more about that community and attend that event, go to medtechleaders.net. Okay, okay, okay. I hear you. Quit yakking, Ted. Let's go to Matthew Ray Scott's practice and get a brand prescription for MedTech. Matthew Ray Scott, it is great to have you on the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. Thanks for your time today. Ted, thanks for the invite. I know that you and I had a brief chat. I'm looking forward to the outline that we're getting ready to discuss. Awesome. Yeah, we've got a lot to go over. Um, and I hope we can get it all done in an hour. I, I do reserve the right to ask you back if we don't get it all done. But why don't you just tell us about your role at Feed the Agency and a little bit about that company. I started Feed 13 years ago. It was at a point in my life where I initiated my career in medical sales, got promoted into sales and marketing positions, had a distributorship, sold that. And I felt that there was an unmet need in the market, which is 
we would become the physician brand agency that private practice specialty surgeons never knew that they could afford. So took everything that I learned about branding and marketing, medical technology, and then the unmet needs that private practice physicians have about attracting more ideal patients. Built feed, we have locations in San Diego, Las Vegas, and Northwest Arkansas. And really what we do, Ted, just in put, to put into summary is we help private practice specialty surgeons avoid the money pit of traditional marketing become the specialist within their specialty and attract more ideal patients. So it's an interesting leap though, from being in the field and sales and then having a distributorship, obviously you had great relationships with a lot of these physicians and you knew a lot about their practices and what their challenges were, but why this leap into helping them on the marketing side I mean, why was that your first instinct? The reason why we went to support private practice specialty surgeons first is it was the greatest unmet need. You see, there's tons of marketing companies out there, but there's very few of us that focus on branding. Branding in the way that we describe it is Dr. It's who you say you are, who your patients say you are, and who Google says you are. So we made a deliberate pivot that we would not be, quote unquote, just a marketing agency because there's tons of them. Rather, we would uniquely help them solve how to clarify their message, how to differentiate themselves from the sea of sameness. You see, private practice specialty surgeons were not trained on how to be a compliant and creative brand. And so they default into a commodity language. By economic definition, doctor, if there is a surplus of surgeons in your specialty and a surplus of patients in your community, by economic definition, that's a commodity. Now, I know and you know that to compare you to bottled water or airlines is unfair, but take the patient perspective. It's no, it's no wonder that patients are confused when they research specialty surgeons and you're all saying the same thing, what you do. So we felt that was the greatest unmet need. So even though we came from met, I mean, we've got employees in these three offices, even though we came from medical device and we did come from advertising agencies to be able to sharpen our branding skills we felt that was the low-hanging fruit. It was the right decision for us because today we think that specialty surgeons are the pivot. They're the catalyst for our research and our study with how patients make decisions. They are the, the engine for medical technology companies. So it was an easier pivot for us to work with some leading orthopedic spine, cardiology, et cetera, brands. But through our knowledge of how busy surgeons make decisions that makes us more valuable as a partner to medtech. And of course, a natural extension of this is that if now you are, or even back then when you founded the company, you are an expert on these specialty practices, their issues, their challenges, and so on. The natural extension of this is that now med tech companies are going to want your help in learning how to market to these people. And now the med tech companies become your clients, correct? That's correct. So fast forward to today, we work with med tech companies of all sizes. We work with specialty surgeons around the world. I think that our decision to choose as a starting point, neurosurgery, spine surgery, orthopedic surgery, sports medicine, cardiology, as a focus area for us, it gave us a set of expertise. It allowed us to then show up on the radar screen as a unique practice building partner with MedTech. And so to this day, when we work with MedTech, they are able to utilize our skill set in a couple different ways. One, they're interested in our perspective on the market because 
we help private practice surgeons, their customers grow their practice and become household brand names synonymous with something other than Dr. Scratch and Sniff. So they find that to be quite interesting. Secondly, we're highly creative in our understanding of how to compliantly do brand storytelling. So Ted, just to give you an example, on average, every day of the year, our team is somewhere in the world creating brand stories through video. On average, almost every day of the year, we're creating brand stories through imaginative websites, managing social media. And we're doing this for med tech and we're doing this for surgeons. So you're right. Med tech doesn't view us as just a marketing agency. They view us as somebody that has a pulse of what's going on between the intersection of patients, surgeons, and their technology. Absolutely. And you had an interesting number you threw out the other day when you and I were talking about how many surgeons you are, are working with. I don't know if you want to reveal that or not, but I was, I was pretty surprised. Yeah. I mean, conservatively in the past 13 years around the world, we've worked with 5,000 surgeons. Um, we've worked with at this point, hundreds of, you know, med tech at different stages, uh, progressive distributorships. Uh, so, yeah, we over this time frame, we've just built a reputation for feed is the organization that you go to for compliant and creative storytelling that helps companies and helps practices avoid the traditional pathway of marketing that ultimately becomes a money pit. And as we say, Ted, advertising is the price you pay for being boring, which is ironic because most of us came from an advertising agency background. And uh, But yeah, I, I think that what we've been successful is we have helped patient understanding, physician understanding, and med tech understanding realize that there's a different way. You don't have to compete in the messy middle. You don't have to fall in line with every other product marketer or the way that you go about business development. And that's some of the things that people tell us that makes us unique. Sure. Do you have any statistics like for a specialty physician, ortho orthopedic physician, spine surgeon, whatever, do you have any general overall data on how much you improve their practice revenues after you've started working with them? Yeah, here's how I answer the first part of that question. Uh, so the first part of the question could be phrased this way, and I oftentimes use this with a, with a surgeon. When a surgeon asks me or somebody on our team, what's the ROI of branding my practice. My response is, is it's a little bit like asking what's the ROI of your mother. <laughs> it, it, you know, I'm, I'm not evading the question. I'm just simple. And I say this to doctors and, you know, some of them are like, I'm not listening to this hillbilly or I understand what you mean, Matthew. Here is what I tell people that we imagine and think that doctors are logical. It's interesting. They make decisions empathetically. And then this, this includes technology. This includes our services. They make decisions empathetically, and then they backfill and rationalize them intellectually after the fact. So what we do is we say, hey, doctor, let's take two forms of ROI, qualitative and quantitative. Let's address qualitative first a little bit like asking what's the ROI of your mother, and then we'll engage in the qualitative component or the quantitative component. And so the only reason why I answer it that way is that we have med tech companies and physicians that are literally losing market share because they're acting like lead generation 1999. And the metrics are all out of whack. 
you see, what we've learned that med tech companies and surgeons are confused about is they measure on, you know, number of leads. And I say that's a garbage metric. For example, you go to a trade show, marketing says, yes, we got 878 leads. And the question's like, what does that mean? Are these SQLs? Are these measured QLs? Are these sales qualified leads? And meanwhile, marketing wins the day, but sales is left with a laundry list of names where you have no idea where they are in the buyer's journey. So what, what I tell you know surgeons, we do have metrics, we have case studies on you know, on our website that, that your audience can go to. So it's not that we don't believe in metrics. We just think that the way that it's traditionally measured is just faulty logic at, at best. Right. And also the goals of the people you work with can be quite varied. For example, if somebody is working with you because they not only want to improve their practice, but they want to become a key opinion leader, they want to be on the podium more often, whatever it might be. There are some other goals. Yeah, sure, you can quantify the success of that, but that's not going to necessarily initially be a financial success right out, right out of the right out of the block. So, you know, if they became a key opinion leader working for a med tech company, sure, they can receive some revenues for that. But I, I understand what you mean. So, for example, Dr. Scott Sigmund, he's a orthopedic surgeon. What is the ROI of Scott Sigmund contacting us? And in one conversation, we develop the word orthopreneurship to describe the buyer's journey for his company, OrthoLaser. It's millions. Mm -hmm. And so how do you put a, you know, analytical, subjective, or logical ROI on, on the ability to reframe a buying proposition. If you're Dr. Alok Sharan and you're in the heart of New York City and you've got spine surgeons left and right across the street, what's the ROI of having awake spinal fusion be a branded and proprietary procedure name that makes him synonymous with a unique approach and perspective of minimally invasive surgery, commodity word, commodity word, mm -hmm. what's the ROI? And now he's got patients around the world. He's speaking, he's interviewed on Becker's all the time, you know, so how do you put an ROI to that? I find that specialty surgeons who work with us, they have a set of common characteristics. It's, they are fighting to remain a free agent. What I can tell you percentage wise is, you know, it's been reported up to 60 plus percent of orthopedic surgeons, even spine surgeons that are having to relinquish private practice and join, you know, they're, they're an employee. Right. And Ted, I've never once, I've never once had a specialty surgeon call me up and go, would you help me get a job with Kaiser? It never happens. So what, what do these surgeons have in common? Ideally, they'd like to remain a free agent. Ideally, they'd like to remain in private practice. Ideally, they want to understand how to follow the preference and migration of patients to the outpatient setting. And to do that, they must position themselves differently. And that's where we come in. Okay. And on the med tech of the industry side, I'm going to hit you a little bit with a curveball that we, you and I didn't discuss before, but I got to believe you'll have an answer for it. And one of the things that I commonly come across with clients or potential clients is with, that have revolutionary new technologies um, is how do they get access to the early adopters in the orthopedic and or spine areas or any area of med tech, how do you get to the early adopters and get them involved? And I was discussing that with uh, a client the other day and we were going through a bunch of suggestions and so on. And because they were a spine company, I started reading Becker Spine. So I see it every day. Uh, 
And one of the things I noticed is how many new technologies are coming out. I mean, and revolutionary ones, stuff that's really crazy. New technologies are coming out just in spine, not orthopedic in general, just in spine. Um, you know, like every month, every couple months. And so one of the thoughts that went through my head was there's a lot of noise out there in these new technologies that, and all these early adopters are sort of confronted with this. How do you break through? If you're a new technology, revolutionary new technology in a surgical space, how do you break through the noise of all these other new technologies so that you can get the attention of, you know, early adopters and to help move your product, you know, through the technology adoption life cycle. Well, spine is the industry in which I grew up in. Okay. And we work with hundreds of spine surgeons. So this question is a good one. The short answer, stop selling a product. Mm -hmm. What's happening is med tech has this belief of we're going to emphasize product marketing, our features, all roads lead to that product marketing. And then salespeople are surprised when they have to compete on price. And the reason why above and beyond contractual pricing, et cetera, that we default to the messy middle is because most med tech companies are trying to sell a product. And I say, that's a mistake. If I was an early stage spine company, med tech company, I would be focusing on something other than leading with a product. I would be focused on, here's the unique problem that we're committed to solving. Here's our unique perspective or point of view that can align with your perspective and point of view, doctor. Here is our process that we use to make it easier than ever to do business with us. I would focus on those pillars that we have, we call them the six P's of brand positioning. And what will happen is that you will not compete in the messy middle because your primary outreach is not exclusively based on here is how our product is better. We have a saying at feed, better is not better. Different is better. The brain is hardwired to notice what's different. Busy surgeons during a pandemic who are distracted and disengaged, that's what we're dealing with here. Right. So, so when we communicate with doctors virtually or in person, what we tell people is you're either building trust, you're either building no like trust with your outreach or not. And what we know to be true in studying how specialty surgeons make decisions, they will view, keep, and discard. And most of our messaging, most of our simplistic communications of trying to get on the attention screen of doctors is poor communications that doesn't legally and compliantly punch a doctor in the amygdala, create a mental stop sign that makes the doctor go, that's different. How do you do that? Mm -hmm, exactly. And do you, do you ever cross pollinate for a med tech client to all the surgeons that you're servicing? Do you ever cross pollinate? Cause I got to believe that the profile of many of the surgeons that you're working with are sort of like early adopter type of profiles. I mean, if, if they're thinking the way they're thinking to be a brand, they're thinking different than the early majority and the laggards and stuff. Yeah, uh, there is cross-pollination. You know, regarding early adopter, um, for me, the book to read is Crossing the Chasm by Dr. Jeffrey Moore. Um, I know, Ted, you're a big reader, and yep. that's something that you probably read. In fact, I interviewed, I, well, let me rephrase this, I stalked Jeffrey Moore until he <laughs> agreed to be on my podcast. And I had read all of his books. It's it's the book in MedTech that's the most... Uh, I give it away more than any other book. And so he agreed. Um, he, he was either going to put a restraining order on me or he was going to say yes. <clears throat> and so 
I interviewed Dr. Moore and I've got it on my brand rounds podcast. Here's what I love about the thought process. If you in med tech, if you buy into his premise, he's saying you must start with early adopters and then move to, you know, early majority before you can achieve middle majority and latent majority market share. You must market and sell to early adopters. They, they are the sneezers. They are viral. And so what it taught me several years ago and what it teaches me now is that most med tech companies are marketing to the middle majority or the messy middle. Therein lies the problem. You see, we've confused KOL with understanding how to market successfully and help people cross the chasm. So for anybody, sales consultants, med tech leaders, if you want a PhD on how you need to be mindful about communicating with doctors, growing your company and doing it profitably, crossing the chasm. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I just got an email yesterday from uh, his associate saying that he would, uh, he, they would do an interview with me. Congratulations. So I, was, I was so excited about that because um, I've read, I read his first edition and I'm halfway through the third edition, which is a little bit different, has a little different flavor than the first edition did. And it's actually a better read in my mind. Uh, but um, I'm I'm very excited about. So I'm going to have to watch your interview with him and sort of my preparation to, uh, you know, for my interview with him. I'm, but I am excited about it. That's cool that you got to interview him. Awesome. Yeah, he's one of my heroes. And um, one of my other heroes is Stephen Pressfield. Um, the writer of the legend of Bagger Vance, and he wrote the war of art, same principle. I just, uh, politely stalk people, Ted, until they go, okay, this guy's not going anywhere. I'm going to say yes. Yeah. Another one of mine is not the, sorry, viewers or listeners, but another one of my favorites is, uh, building strong brands by David Aker. And that's spelled A A K E R for people that are listening and he's got a second or third book out um, because that's an older book. But that was the f first time I, I really was convinced that you could bring emotions into medical marketing because emotions are part of everything. And for people that think that doctors are making decisions just based on pure science and facts are wrong. You know, there yeah. there's emotion in, in it. So anyway, not to divert a whole lot. Um but we're talking about marketing and we're talking about early adopters and we're sort of talking also about how bad we are at med tech in, in terms of marketing. So uh, I think we've covered that to a certain degree. Um, any new strategies or tactics or tools on the marketing side? Because we're going to get into sales here in just a second. But any tactics, strategies, tools for marketing and med tech that you can um, – talk about? Uh, two quick strategies. Video is the marketer that never sleeps. Uh, what we know to be true is the way that we prefer to consume information online is through video. The statistics right. are clear. The use of video to communicate and clarify your message, hands down, med tech needs to do a better job of it. I'm not talking about you know, fancy 3D animation, you know, of a pedicle screw. I'm talking about storytelling that draws a narrative transportation of taking doctors, taking patients from here to there. Mm -hmm. And so video strategy, number one, you need more of it. Number two, content marketing. Med tech companies in general are not delivering content marketing. Now, you will hear med tech companies go, wait a minute, we've got a LinkedIn page. We've got a Facebook page. What I'm talking about is content marketing that actually engages their target audience, pre-educates, even pre-qualifies, 
And I find that few med tech companies are willing to engage and commit to content marketing because they're looking for a quick fix. They don't have the patience to stand in the pocket and consistently deliver demand generation quality value that allows doctors to learn, pre-qualify, and and actually prefer to engage. And what I see medtech companies doing is come by our booth, join our webinar. It's meaningless. It's what I'm talking about is sharing ideas rather than information. So those are two strategies that, and we're already using this with other leading companies and you can see the difference that it provides a level of brand storytelling that again, if you buy my premise of modern definition, you are, your brand is who you say you are, who your clients or customers say you are and who Google says you are. Med tech companies have an op- opportunity to shape their voice, clarify their brand so that when doctors engage in word of mouth marketing, it consistently draws distinction. So rather than being overly inclusive, you become exclusive. And so in your team at Feed, the agency, do you have um, some demand gen experts or do you farm that out? Yeah, I mean, uh, we don't outsource anything. Um, You know, in, in our case, our experience is in the area of sales enablement, marketing, brand strategy, web development, video development, social media, content marketing, brand journalism, public relations, advertising campaigns. And now we're fortunate that what's happened over time, Ted, is that we get hired to do specialty campaigns. We're not interested in being an outsourced agency for MedTech. We're interested in how do we humanize this technology through the use of video? How do we attract more surgeons to think of us not as minimally invasive technology, but something more specific than the jargon that's out there. Those are the projects. We like to start with a problem and then they give us the creativity to choose which medium and modality that we want to use. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you so much on this whole subject area of demand generation. You know, in, in med tech, again, we're not good at it. You can look at somebody's website and in two seconds, you, you know that they're not involved in it. They don't have marketing automation uh, linked to the website. You can tell all these things. And so I've got to believe that you must have some customers where you've gone in and done some, excuse the term, major surgery on all of their messaging. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, in fact, it's a requirement. When we work with a client, we will not work with them. We will not work with a surgeon. We will not work with med tech unless they go through what we call a brand strategy or brand RX process. Okay. Now, the reason why that's important is because if we cannot be a part of understanding their goals, dissecting their messaging, allowing us the creative freedom and an understanding of compliance to clarify, we don't want to be put in a situation where we're putting lipstick on a pig. We want the opportunity to be with through our expertise and understanding, for example, anything in orthopedics and spine, you know, we live in that world, neurosurgery, product wise, branding, et cetera. We're working with a who's who of, of those specialties. So what we tell people is it's a bonus that we have expertise, but our goal is to position you as unique and the truth of the matter is, is I'm probably not supposed to say this. It's not as difficult as you think. 
you see other marketing agencies are focused on the party line of, we'll improve this. We'll make this better. Not us. We come in and say, you must be committed to allowing us to help you become different in the mindset of your ideal clients. So what demand generation does is it operates on the premise of we're going to act like we're trying to earn attention rather than act like we're going to try to sell you a widget. Rather, we're going to act like we're going to try to create awareness, deserve and earn your attention so that you, doctor, can align yourself with our unique perspective, point of view, problem solving, pain relief, and yes, product. But what I think the mistake that most med tech companies are making is all roads lead to the product. And I say, you're in the race to the messy middle. You're going to compete on pricing. You don't have enough time and you don't have enough money if you're a startup med tech company to just compete on how you're quote unquote better. Your ability to change the mind of surgeons, you don't have the time and money to do that, or it's a slow race. Rather, take a 15 degree pivot, trust in the process that the human brain is hardwired to notice what is different and focus on how you're different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's really, really good. And, it, you know, so many companies need to take this advice. In fact, there's a company I'm probably going to suggest that contact you um, today. Now, let's move on to sales. Uh, you spend a lot of time on, on the whole subject of selling. I, I see a lot of your stuff on LinkedIn. And it's a real challenge because we're now in this very virtual environment. And if you're reading Becker Hospital and Becker Spine like I am, you're seeing how many hospitals are reducing elective surgeries right now because of, of COVID. There's all this tension in the marketplace, depending on what part of the country that you're in. Um, and it's difficult to open doors to people that you don't know. But you've got some definite ideas on this. I do. First, we're all in sales. Just most people don't know it yet. Right. <laughs> so that's my, my first recommendation. Uh, secondly, the lines are becoming blurred as to what is sales responsibility and what is marketing responsibility. And I think that's good. You know, I came up through Medtronic, Nuvasis, Smith & Nephew during the distinct silo difference between marketing does this and sales does this. The lines are blurred. So I believe that, and the reason why I talk so much on sales, even though 0.0001% of our revenue is sales related, is because I remember what it felt like when I was a sales consultant being told by a boss, just make more calls. Mm -hmm. It's a numbers game. Right. Just knock on more doors, just drop off more, you know, subway subs. I remember that mentality thinking, yeah, it, it, it's not going to continue to work. So I, I have a heart for salespeople because I think it's where the action's at. When, when, when I look at where transformation is taking place and you see me talking on LinkedIn, I'm kind of using the Gretzky approach of skate to where the puck is going. So for me, if it's surgeon related, I spend my time focused on how to follow the migration of patients to an outpatient surgery center, how to maintain your free agent independence, and how to not fall victim to becoming, quote unquote, yet another full service surgeon. And then on the sales side, I am focusing on the transformation of what I would call the modern day distributor. If um, you notice, I didn't say direct sales consultant, mm -hmm. right? The modern day distributorship is where the action and change is occurring. If you're a modern day distributor right now, orthopedic spine, et cetera, and you're listening to me, 
you have so much freedom to be on the front lines, not be pigeonholed into being a manufacturer's rep, but on the front lines, you have an opportunity to become a practice builder, a problem solver, treat your distributorship in the form of, of differentiating yourself so that you don't compete on price. Distributor, you have no idea what an amazing opportunity you have right now. And so I created a course called the Medical Sales RX course. It teaches modern day medical sales consultants how to understand how busy doctors make decisions, how to engage them with compliant and creative communications, and how to increase consultations. We've had a couple thousand people already go through the course, and the results are terrific. So salespeople, put your branding hat on, put your small case marketing hat on, your job just changed. You are now a media agency. You are now a practice building agency. Nobody ever told you that. Hmm. And you are still, I mean, even though a very small percentage of your work is in sales consulting, so to speak, other than this course. And those, by the way, those 2000 people that you trained, that was in a very short period of time, correct? Yeah. I launched the course. We're probably up to close to 4,000 people. Um, I launched it in January through the advice of a mentor happens to be a prominent CEO at a leading med tech company. And he contacted me and his words were, you guys are cracking the code as far as how to engage with busy doctors during the pandemic. Matthew, you got to teach this. And I said, I'm not a sales trainer. I have zero desire to be a sales trainer. And he said, this is something that we in the market need to know. So I created the course. We're training people all around the world. I don't, I don't know for how much longer I'm going to do it. Just with due respect, there's enough people now that it's taking up you know, a considerable amount of time, which I enjoy being a mentor. It's just that the main point that I want to create in the time that I, I do teach the medical sales or X course is I want medical sales consultants to know they're the hottest game in town. And if you're a distributorship and you felt like you were just a manufacturer's rep, you're the hottest game in town. You got more flexibility than you've ever had. The fact that hospitals are deciding on whether they want to let you in or not, it's the best news you've ever heard but you got to be able to pivot 15 degrees to the left or right of what you were doing. How many sessions long is this course? Yeah. So the medical sales RX course is four sessions consisting of an hour each. And then they have 30 days access to me personally for any help, any questions. And um, it's all virtual, but it's virtual live. I made the decision and this is where it takes time. I made the decision that I was not going to make this just, you know, a completely virtual course, that it was going to be live, virtual live. So we've had, you know, organizations as big as 500, 600 people. And then we've had distributors from South Africa, China, India, Australia, you know, direct sales consultants companies as big as Stryker, you name it. We've had individuals and all that. And it's interesting to see the commitment level. And here's what I've learned. And I think this is interesting. If you're a direct sales consultant, for whatever reason, you're not motivated to take my course. Now, why is that? I have a theory. If you're a direct sales consultant, you're being fed by your internal organization, good or bad. Distributors, 1099. 
Mm-hmm. Nobody's paying their paycheck. They go out and they feed themselves. So I predicted that when I started this course, that if you're with a, one of the biggies in orthopedic and spine, you're like, yeah, he's got a nice beard, but you know, this is a course that I don't need. But if you're a distributor and you're wanting a seven figure lifestyle design business, you're signing up for my course because what I'm teaching is truly not how to sell, but rather how to become masters of how busy surgeons make decisions. And now you have an approach. That's, I, I think that modern day distributors, I mean, we're working with several right now, creating their podcast head, redoing their website, teaching them content-based prospecting and networking. I mean, some of these distributors from the outside, you cannot tell that they're a distributor. You don't know if they're McKinsey and company. You don't know if they're supply chain management experts. You don't know if they're Red Bull media. And that's where I think the top earning distributorships are going to go. And with all due respect, they're going to avoid the promotion at the biggies. And they're going to run the pirate flag up the flagpole. That's, that's what I think is going to happen. How many people tend to like is how many people are in a session or in a, in a training period do you typically have? Uh, with big companies, several hundred. Um, okay. and then sometimes it's one person. Okay. Um, and then other times it's 15 people in a distributorship. The size varies. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Um, so you're not limiting it to like 10 people, a, a training session or anything like that. All no, right. I made, I made the decision that whoever shows up, I mean, I even said to people, invite your, invite anybody and in, invite your buddy from another company. You know, for me, it wasn't important to limit it. Um, what was important was that, you know, you show up, it doesn't matter how many people, it doesn't cost anything extra. I mean, you can show up whoever you want. I made the decision that I was going to lead with, all right, we're here. Here's our approach. I mean, we, we give people word-for-word scripting on emails, word-for-word topics that we use to engage busy surgeons, word-for-word personalized videos. So, that's been fun to see the value that people are receiving. Okay. That's really cool. One of the things that I saw um, the other day in one of your videos was your seven before seven. And the thing I like about it, there's several things. One is that it's indicative of a discipline to be up early and get going because before seven means seven in the morning. Uh, but tell us more about the seven before seven, because I think it encapsulates a lot of the things that you're trying to share with people on how to be a professional in this day. I read the book, Atomic Habits. Have you read that, Ted? Yes, I have. <laughs> We're, we think alike. We do. Yeah, with James Clear. I'm, I'm a big fan. So fact, seven before I, I t- seven. I tell, people, I tell people that it it actually, I was reading the book and as I got closer and closer to the end, realizing that I was going to have to incorporate some, I, my chest actually started getting tighter. Like now I'm going to have to do this stuff, you know? Yes. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Seven before 7 a.m. was my first atomic habit. Oh gosh. So I just, you know, for those of you who haven't read the book, read it. But basically, the the premise is is that you break big goals, big outcomes into actions, behaviors, and techniques. Right. So, like Ted said, my theory on seven before seven a.m. is I create seven personalized videos. Now, let me define this for you. It could be seven videos using my smartphone. It could be, you know, the webcam that I'm speaking to now. <clears throat> I create seven videos for doctors, either that I'm trying to earn their attention, 
or I'm trying to add value. They're already clients of ours. And so they're somewhere in that buyer's journey. All of my videos, none of them will last longer than three minutes, period. So it forces me to add value. Now, let's talk about what I never do. I never ask for an appointment. I never ask for a sale. I just leave it open-ended. Here's a contrarian point for you salespeople. I leave it open-ended and I give away my best ideas personalized to them for free. So what I'm doing is I'm giving away my strategy for free because I know that what doctors really want help with is implementation to find somebody like you who has this expertise to implement it for them. So I do it Monday through Friday. I've had all kinds of excuses, Ted. You know, I travel around the country a lot, you know, working on projects. I'm like, ugh, in order for me to do this, I got to wake up at 4 a.m. in a hotel in Austin, Texas, you know, in a right. hotel in New York City, wherever I'm at. It requires discipline, but in the spirit of atomic habits, it's not difficult for me to lead with a heart of stewardship is what I call it, to give away, hey, Dr. Scratch and Sniff, this is Matthew from Feed. I noticed that you wrote an article, what I appreciated about your unique perspective, et cetera, just adding value. Or, hey, Dr. Scratch and Sniff, the biggest misconception about branding for doctors, well, I'm going to answer it. I'm going to do it in less than 60 seconds. And so I'm leading with value. And you can do the same thing. I'm teaching medical device people to do this with their problem-solving, pain relief, technology, process, et cetera. And yeah, so there's something about the practice or the discipline of doing that. But here's a hint. I will never, ever, ever send one of these videos after 7.01 a.m. So I sent, whenever I'm communicating with doctors, it's before 7 a.m., and then after 6 p.m., you will not catch me sending. Why? Because statistically, I've proven doctors are busy between the hours of 7.01 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Oh. So I'm, I'm looking for effectiveness, not convenience. Is it convenient for me to wake up at dark 30 in the morning and religiously send seven of these? Depends upon how you look at it. Is it rational or irrational of me to send this before 7 a.m. and after, you know, 6 p.m.? Well, statistically, I know that I'm getting a 75% attention rate over two years worth of personalized videos that I'm sending. Wow. We're 3x increasing our consultations. So again, if you buy my premise. I'm not trying to prove that we're better. I'm just trying to prove that we're different. Exactly. No, that's really terrific. And what platform are you using? We use Vidyard. Okay. So for the listening audience, Vidyard is going to set you back a whopping $18 a month. So I believe in using technology that doesn't break the bank. I believe in using the technology that must have an app on this phone yeah. or the webcam on our camera. We're using Vidyard. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Matthew Ray Scott. I talk, I basically, as you know, Ted, I'm giving away for free the strategies that I teach in the Medical Sales RX course. Yet, why is it that every day more and more people sign up and pay. What's the logic behind that? And so what I'm encouraging medical sales consultants, it's like we were taught to, whether it's spin selling or, or whatever, we were taught to kind of like do this, you know, mystery of like, hold on to certain things. I say, get rid of that. Share ideas. 
specifically tell doctors how your technology, how your service, how your expertise is solving problems. It's the only thing that busy doctors care about. They care about you and I aligning with their perspective, relieving them of internal, external, and philosophical and practical pains and solving their problem. So I have every once in a while, I'll have an intern or whoever, you know, or a reporter or whatever shadow me. And they walk away with, I say the same things over and over and over again to doctors. And I'm incredibly boring. That's kind of the summary. (laughs) (laughs) And, And that's because I know how busy doctors think. Sure. I know what they care about. One one other thing I would just want to touch on really quickly is you had a, something early in your career that has helped you come to some of these ideas and conclusions related to service. Yeah, I was part of a co-development team uh, at a company, and we sold that company for 16 times earnings to Medtronic. I had a little breathing room. As I shared with you, Ted, I went to Sweet Sandy, my wife of uh, 35 years, my high school sweetheart, and asked permission to start my midlife crisis. I was 35. I asked if I could start my midlife crisis. She kind of gave me the RC Cola dog look and goes, what do you mean? And I said, hey, I want to take, you know, at least a year, maybe two years off. Uh, I want to go to culinary school and just travel around, go to culinary school. And she's like, do you want to become a chef? And I'm like, oh, no. I just want to be able to cook ridiculously good for friends, family, and yes, doctors on Friday night. And it's been interesting, Ted, because um, turns out if you spend long enough in, in culinary school and you're the only student who has no intention of becoming a chef and compete in a restaurant, you can enjoy the process. So hence the name feed. Yep. The name of our agency is Feed. And so to borrow the analogy, I think that business development has a dinner invitation. Ted, it's been so fun. I've had doctors who kind of know about that background fly into little bitty Northwest Arkansas to hang out. And Turns out what we do, break bread, have, have one glass of wine, <laughs> holding up four fingers, yeah. <laughs> and, we just, and we just chat, and we just talk, and we, you know, we do business together. So that's the, that's the background. I think that for those of you who are out there, don't deny or put into a corner your unique likes, hobbies. As long as you can thread it back to how you're helping people in business, which which I can with the with the you know mise en place, food prep that applies to being organized or you know cutting skills. You know surgeons all get cutting skills. I mean, you know I can chop Julian carrots like you know an endoscopic spine surgeon you know (laughs) makes his or her approach. And it's, it's, it, it can all correlate into how we have more in common. And then the other thing is people love to eat. Yes. And I love to feed people. I, you know, take the full analogy. I, uh, um, I discovered that I love to serve people. And I don't mean that in an ultra corny way. You know, my mother is Mother Teresa with a leg tattoo. So I come from, you know, a mom that taught us how to serve people. And um, yeah, it, it, it reframes how to do business development. When a doctor says, I hate Brussels sprouts. And then you say, that's good because I'm preparing Brussels sprouts tonight. And, you know, so that's how I look. That's how I view it. Sure. And yeah, food is a foundation for fellowship, you know, when you, when you share it. Business development has a dinner invitation at Feed. I love it. I love it. Well, thanks so much for, gosh, we blew through this hour, but so much great information, 
that uh, you've shared with the listeners and the viewers. I, I just really appreciate your time. And um, I hope sometime we can circle back in the future and, and spend more time together. We will, Ted. I'm enjoying your podcast. I enjoy the value that you create. And thank you for allowing me to be a part of that. That was interesting and inspiring at the same time. I took five pages of notes when editing this podcast. It was just so interesting. Matthew says that the lines are blurring between what sales is responsible for and what marketing is responsible for. And this is reinforced in his comment about demand generation, where he said, act like we are trying to earn attention. The key word being earn. And this earning activity can go all the way to the field sales level. On marketing strategies and tactics, he said video and the right kind of content were key. This content should show how you and your product are different. And finally, do you have a success habit like Matthew's 7 before 7? I have a couple, but nothing as clear and compelling as his. Your homework is to create one. I will too. Thanks again so much for being with us today. Now, go win your week. <laughs>